Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Like the World podcast. I'm your host, LT World. If you're new to this podcast, we go over culture and politics and other things like that and just look at different issues from both sides and try to analyze them and break them down and see which ones make the most sense. We also are starting a new series of interviews on this channel and we'll be interviewing for the first first interview. We're going to be interviewing a guy who grew up in a cult and is now a pastor. So we're just going to hear a little bit more about his story of like what it was like to grow up in a cult, how we got out and how he got to where he is today and just kind of hear more about his life story. And I'm going to be doing more uh, more interviews like that throughout time, talking to people about who are impacted culture, talking about stuff like that, and also just find out people's backgrounds and their stories. And just if I think there's interesting stories to share, I'll share it on here. So I'm going to be doing an interview series. Uh, so stay tuned for those. Now, today's topic, we are jumping into about we're talking about communism and the reason why i wanted to talk about communism is because everything that's happening in ukraine and everything that's happening with russia and all that stuff i saw it'd be really fitting to talk about ukraine and talk about communism which has plays a big part in everything that's going on and so before we jump in like and subscribe and follow on whatever podcast you're following on if you don't already and i just ask that you enjoy what you hear so let's jump into it all right now the whole thing with communism starts with a guy named Karl Marx and another guy named Engels. So in my other podcast, when I talked about, I believe it was either postmodernism or critical theory, I'm not sure which one, um, I'll, put, I'll put, put it in the description if you want to see, but I talk a lot about Karl Marx um, in one of those episodes. So I'm not going to go too much into Karl Marx's life. I'm not going to go too much in Engels' life, but I do want to at least briefly mention, obviously, their rule because Karl Marx and Engels were the founders of communism. So they met together in 1844, around that time, and they formed the foundations for what would become uh, the theory of communism. And they wrote what they called the Communist Manifesto. And the Communist Manifesto was basically like them just outlining kind of like almost their ideal um, political and socioeconomic structure because they thought that capitalism was the basically the force of evil within society and that if there was a perfect communist society that would create um perfect a, a perfect civilization and a utopia of sorts or at the very least it would make it much more bearable than capitalism would and communism by definition is according to the dictionary a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs needs um, is essentially a theory advocating that there should be no individual property rights or ownership and the community ought to own everything and control means of production and distribution. Uh, normally, what this looks like in the practical when it play, it's played out is that the government controls everything and uh, per, uh, controls production and distribution and tries to do so evenly or fairly in a perfect society, at least. And a common phrase thrown around to define communism in a concise way is from each person according to his ability and to each according to his need. So in Karl Marx's eyes and in Engels' eyes and early founders of communism, they believed that if everyone in the community collectively owned all the goods and that there was no private individual property rights and that there wasn't any sort of, um, I guess, class division, that... This would allow for people to be egalitarian and people would no longer uh, struggle to meet their needs because, as the saying so, goes, each person's needs would be met and each person would be able to exert the amount of ability they're able to exert. And so, in theory, it sounds like it should make sense. I mean, in theory, it sounds like that would be, yeah, that sounds nice. Everyone doesn't need anything because their needs are met. 
No one is better than anyone else. Everyone's equal, uh, socioeconomically speaking, at least. And each person gets to do what they want to do or they get to work and they get to help the community. And it, it creates a community bond, if you will. So in theory, it sounds very nice, at least. In, in theory, it sounds like it would be a good thing. And this is what Karl Marx and Engels hoped would happen. And in their eyes, at the very least, by how I could best understand it, um, people can do a little bit more digging. But how I could best understand it is, in their eyes, government is was supposed to be seen more as a transition into this perfect society rather than the ultimate end goal. So ultimately, like if you're going from a capitalist society to a communist society, there's going to be a transitioning period because you can't just do that overnight. Um, you would have to you have to break down individual property rights. You have to start um, getting all the money and all the property and all the production and all that, all the factories and everything, you have to start taking them away from individuals and someone has to do this. And normally the, someone who does this is the government. And they normally start taking away people's property and then the government owns, eventually starts to own everything. And then in theory, they distribute it evenly across everyone. Uh, everyone owns everything and therefore then not one individual owns anything and that everyone owns everything. And then the government no longer plays a big role in it except for some regulatory factors. But at the end of the day, then the society would control everything. Henceforth, why the softer version of communism is called socialism, because the society as a whole controls means and productions and everyone's equal. So government's not supposed to really be necessarily um, a eternal thing for communism, but rather it's supposed to be a transitioning, uh, a, a means of transition into this perfect society. However, We'll see how it actually plays out in reality. So let's jump into the history of communism's implementation now that we kind of established what it is. So obviously, as we said, in 1844 is when the Communist Manifesto was written. And it would take a several decades before anyone really latched onto this and tried to implement it. And the first implementation or the first people who claimed to be Marxists and actually had some sort of successful um, overthrow of the previous government to implement communism was in 1917 in the great place of the USSR or the Soviet Union, as it's colloquially known at least. So in 1917, you have the communist revolution in the USSR. And if anyone read Animal Farm, this is exactly the revolution Animal Farm is depicting um, George Orwell's book. So Animal Farm, it's like, it's all about the pigs and the animals overthrowing the farmer who would, would, would represent the dictator that ruled in the USSR for a long time. And then the pigs represent the communist parties, that the communist revolutionaries. And then, anyway, well, it, it, anyway, the animal farm, is this is the revolution that the animal farm is making an analogy of. So, in 1917, Vladimir Lenin, leading the Bolsheviks, led a successful revolution overthrowing the Russian monarchy at the time, which was led by a man named Alexander Kerensky. And Alexander Kerensky was not a great guy. Uh, he was a dictator and an oppressor. And that's why the people revolted, because they didn't like his dictatorship. And when Lenin started this revolution, he promised the people who supported him bread, land, and peace. So he promised them food. He promised them to have plenty of land, and he just promised some sort of, like, peace, you know. And Lenin was a self-proclaimed Marxist. He was a self-proclaimed communist. And his whole pitch was that, I'm going to overthrow the monarchy, the dictatorship, 
and I will establish a communist society where everyone's equal and everyone has food and land and no one's above anyone else and we will just be a happy-go-lucky egalitarian society. That was the pitch, at least. But after Lenin overthrew the dictatorship, he lost an election to the Socialist Revolutionaries, which was an opposing party in, in Animal Farm, what I was analogizing to earlier. In Animal Farm, this is what happens where the, the two pig leaders kind of have this like debate or whatever, and the one pig beats the other pig, and the pig who loses gets angry, and he sicks the dogs on the pig that won the election, and that's exactly what happened in the actual revolution. So after Lenin lost to the socialist revolutionaries in the election, a few months after the revolution, Lenin then used force to take power and to put the Bolsheviks in charge. Um, so basically Lenin chased out the socialist revolutionaries and he said, no, I am in control. And he did this through force. Even though he promised beforehand that he would not use force to do that, even though he promised beforehand that he would make sure that the people maintain peace, he took it personally when he lost the lost the election. We'll just put it that way. He took it personally. Uh, but he then established a government after the Russian Revolution, and he was the first, after the Russian Revolution, he was the first, like, Marxist communist government to be established in um, modern day history. Following the establishment of his new regime, it was completely the opposite of bread, land, and peace. Rather, it could have been, it would be better to say it was the age of starvation, destitution, and oppression. <laughs> it was not any sort of peace going on here. There was no sort of bread. There was a lot of economic disparity, a lot of problems. So Lenin followed the advice of Joseph Stalin during his reign, I guess you could say. And he started to use more uh, forceful tactics because most people have heard of Joseph Stalin. He, Before he was the leader of the Soviet Union, he was a general, an army general. So he was an advisor to Lenin. And Lenin was not popular. A lot of people didn't like Lenin because everyone was starving. Not everyone, but a lot of people were starving. There was tension and there was a lot of civil war and civil disputes going on still because Lenin kind of just sucked as a human being and as a leader, even though he tried his best, you could say, I guess, to establish some sort of communist uh, implementation such as healthcare and stuff like that, but nothing was working out. But... During this time, Lenin followed the advice of Joseph Stalin following a couple of assassination attempts. So, people tried to assassinate Lenin, and he was like, alright, I don't like this. People are getting angry with me because I failed to keep my promise. And Joseph Stalin's like, hey, what if we initiate this thing called the Red Terror, where basically we shut down the people, use force and power to shut them up, use a lot of heavy discipline, and then they'll be afraid to revolt, or they'll be afraid to assassinate you or so the theory goes so lenin implemented some communist lenin implemented uh, the red terror some of these red terror tactics he set up prison camps uh he executed a lot of people and there was just a lot of oppression going on during his time to suppress civil tension and revolutions that were starting to rise up within the soviet union and during this time he also as i said tried to implement some sort of communist things or communist um plans or what's the word i want to use he wanted to implement some sort of communist socio-economic structures such as universal health care and he tried to implement um 
other social services, but a lot of them just weren't working out. And so, while he was losing control, and while everything was failing and crumbling under his feet, he developed this thing called the secret police to regulate anti-Bolshevik speech. So if anyone raised any complaints with his government, the secret police would um, take care of them. We'll, we'll put it politely. So instead of getting bread, land, and peace, the whole nation got poverty and distress. Of course, since Lenin's reign was so successful, other countries wanted to follow his lead. Mostly they wanted to control their nations and they saw that the Bolsheviks were able to do that. So while Lenin would serve his last few years as a leader of an impressed quasi-communist nation, allowing Joseph Stalin to take over and reinforce stricter communist policies, China decided to walk in their footsteps. So in 1921, China established the first communist party in their country. So in 1921, there was this group of people, they're eventually called like the CCP and the, the communist party, first communist party of China. And they had a relationship with Joseph Stalin. They had a relationship with Lenin and they had a relationship with the Soviet Union. And they're like, hey, we are really impressed with your revolution. We would like that to happen here. So that's why they established the party in 1921 and similar situation. A lot of the peasants in China, a lot of the uh, laborers in China were oppressed, a lot of them were poor, struggling to survive, and they were just angry with their landowners in general. In 1927, uh, a few years after the China Communist Party was established, the CCP was undercut by the current government, and it was on the ropes of survival. But thanks to a man named Mao Zedong, who managed to gather together angry peasants by appealing to their hatred for their landowners and for their hatred for the government because a lot of these... Uh, peasants were obviously peasants for a reason. They were poor and starving. He was able to rally them together and he managed to introduce communism into China through the 1949 Chinese Communist Revolution. So Mao Zedong spent a couple decades, basically, like three decades, riling up these peasants. Um, he, he pointed their hatred towards the landowner, he pointed their hatred toward the government and said, These are your enemies. These are the people oppressing you. These are the people starving you. And we have a way to free you. And he offered this communist vision of having everyone equal, everyone doing what their part, and everyone having bread, land, and peace. He didn't say it that way, but he was essentially offering the same thing because he saw that that's what the people wanted to hear. However, it, it didn't necessarily work out again in the best. China probably is the best example of communism working out to the greatest extent. I mean, it's probably the least oppressive and most successful country out of the out of the countries I'm going to mention on this episode. But still, there was a lot of oppression in China. There's still a lot of oppression in China to this day. A lot of religious persecution. A lot of problems that revolve around this Marxist-Lenin uh, philosophy that these early communists in China developed. But China and Soviet Union weren't the only communist nations to arise. So following World War II and during the Cold War, there was a lot of communist tension going on. And that's why you had the Red Scare in the United States. You had the whole nuclear like race going on. And you had these communist revolutions going on across the world. So you had Cuba in 1956. They had their communist revolution. You had Vietnam in 1976 following the Vietnam War and the fall of Saigon. The Communist Party took over Vietnam and started the first communist reign there. And then you also had North Korea who went into um, communist mode after following World War II as well. And pretty much all of these 
communist nations were started through revolutions. You had angry peasants, angry landowners, angry um, workers and laborers, people who just were not satisfied with their current situation because they were being oppressed by either dictators or whoever their government was. So they revolted, backed up some sort of leader who promised communist freedom and equality, and then they slaughtered the government and took it over. And pretty much all these, as I just mentioned, happened during the Cold War. And it, they're just all surrounded by tension. They're all surrounded by some sort of violence. And the results of this violence, the results of these revolutions, aren't very good. So, as most people know, the USSR was constantly facing poverty and oppression. A lot of the citizens in the Soviet Union were starving to death, were dying, being oppressed, were beaten, taken to prison camps. You had the secret police. You weren't allowed to speak out against the government. A lot of religions were persecuted. It was just bad. And economically speaking, they, they always tended to struggle. They're not very big. Even to this day, Russia's not very big. So the USSR wasn't very successful, and the communist regime there rather really sucked. And just Stalin actually killed more people in his nation than even Hitler did. So he wasn't, he wasn't a great guy, and nor was the system well run. Cuba was ruled by dictators a lot following the communist revolution and also suffered economically for most of their years. They're doing a little bit better now, um, but still, Cuba never really took off economically. And there's a lot of factors that play into it. Communism was just one of them. Vietnam, following the fall of Saigon and the communist regime, faced hyperinflation and stagnation in 1986 because of poor economic strategies. And following 1986, they started to adopt more capitalist policies, although they're still technically communists, they're kind of quasi-communists, they're not really communists, it, they're, they're much more capitalist than they used to be, be, following these economic struggles in the 80s. North Korea, as most people know, is probably one of the most oppressed countries in the world to date. It's very economically poor, uh, its GDP is not that great, and the people are completely brainwashed and oppressed, and it's awful. And as I mentioned, China is probably the most successful out of all of these, but it's also not a fully communist state. It's kind of a mercantile country, kind of has a lot of capitalist tendencies that just regulated by the government. So it's kind of weird. China's not fully communist. They just have a lot of communist tendencies or their foundations were communist. But all that to say, the history of communism is full of blood. The history of communism is full of revolution and violence. And the history of communism is full of unmet promises and economic disparity and oppression. So it doesn't surprise me to see, I'll put it this way, it doesn't surprise me to see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Um, I'm not going through the history of why those two countries specifically are at each other's throats, but communism has normally bred revolution, has normally bred violence, and has normally bred bloodshed. So it doesn't surprise me to see all that going on with Russia and Ukraine. But now, next episode, we will be jumping into communism versus kind of like capitalism. Maybe not communism versus capitalism, but we'll just be talking about communism and kind of looking at both sides. Like, why do people support it? Why do people think it was a good theory or is a good theory? And why people don't think it's a good theory? And why people think it's a bad idea. And obviously the history doesn't favor communism already. So that's not in its favor. But we'll just look at both sides and see kind of like the theoretical or the 
the thinking that goes behind the theory and how, what people have to say on both sides to support or against it. And if that sounds interesting to you, stick around. And if you're looking forward to the interview episode, I'm going to be dropping some hints out there. I'm going to be releasing that next week, hopefully, or this week. So look out for that. And if you want to stay up to date with what I'm going to be doing, check me out on Instagram, Twitter, and you can check out my website, ltworld.info. Now, thank you. And please, friends, go out there and light the world.